Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law. I'm your host, Loyal Law School professor Jessica Levinson, and today I'm joined by the show's co-host and producer, Joe Armstrong. Just as we were sitting down to record this episode, there is some breaking news. The news is that the New York Attorney General's office, which is looking into the Trump Organization, has alerted the Trump Organization that this is not just a civil investigation, this is in fact also a criminal investigation. So let me preview this really quickly before we get into the rest of the episode. Basically, the New York Attorney General's office for a few years now has been looking into whether or not the Trump organization lied about property values to get favorable insurance rates and tax benefits, essentially sometimes saying, oh yeah, the value of the property is high in order, for instance, to get a loan, and then other times saying the value of the property is low in order to get tax breaks. Now, the news today, again, is this New York Attorney General issuing a statement, we have informed the Trump Organization that our investigation into the organization is no longer purely civil in nature. We are now actively investigating the Trump Organization in a criminal capacity along with the Manhattan DA. Everybody, this is big news, period, full stop. It significantly increases the potential that Trump will face criminal exposure. It's not a done deal. It significantly increases the potential. In addition, it increases the potential that former and current executives of the Trump organization could be facing jail time. Now, that last sentence in the release, that last clause in the release, along with the Manhattan DA, is important. This obviously means that the New York Attorney General is now working with the New York District Attorney. This is not typical. Usually the New York District Attorney would continue on its own. So the Attorney General must be adding something here. And it's possible that they uncovered independent evidence that's helpful to the New York DA's case. Again, we don't know for sure. Generally speaking, the New York Attorney General would get cooperation from a prosecutor's office in order to bring a criminal case. Now, let's also remember about criminal cases that they require proof of intent. So again, the evidence thus far very likely indicates that we're looking at something far more than financial irregularities. So what's going to happen now? This likely puts a lot more pressure on Trump Organization CFO Alan Weiselberg, the Trump Organization in general, and potentially even Trump to provide information and cooperate to avoid jail time. Now, with that breaking news, Joe, take us away and tell us what else we're going to talk about today. Hello, Jessica. Today, we're going to discuss a new anti-Asian hate law, a Supreme Court decision on police search and seizure, and whether or not you can sue Elon Musk if one of his SpaceX rockets happens to fall on your house. Let's jump into this with that anti-Asian hate bill. So after clearing the Senate in a 94 to 1 vote in April, the House of Representatives passed an anti-Asian hate crimes bill on Tuesday. The tally of the votes in the House was 364 to 62, with all 62 no votes being cast by Republicans. The bill, which is called the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act, directs the DOJ to expedite the review of anti-Asian hate crimes related to the COVID-19 pandemic. 
It was introduced by Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii, along with Senator Grace Meng from New York. At a press conference, Senator Meng said, quote, Those of Asian descent have been blamed and scapegoated for the outbreak of COVID-19, and as a result, Asian Americans have been beaten, slashed, spat on, and even set on fire and killed. The Asian American community is exhausted from being forced to endure this rise in bigotry and racist attacks. President Biden has said that he will sign the new bill in a matter of days, getting that moving pretty quickly. So, Jessica, can you tell us what this bill will do? What's the nitty gritty here? Yeah, I'll talk about the nitty gritty. And I just want to emphasize what you said, which is let's remember why we're talking about this now, because there wasn't just a surge in COVID-19 cases. There was an unprecedented surge in anti-Asian violence. And why? Let's remember what our former president said. He would regularly use racially charged racist phrases like Kung flu to refer to the pandemic. And words matter. And there was a significant rise, again, in anti-Asian violence. So it might feel like, Joe, you and I talked about this offline. Does it feel like this happened quickly? And yes and no, but Representative Judy Chu, I think, had a great comment when she said, it shows just how much the near daily tragedies of anti-Asian violence have shocked our nation into action. So unfortunately, I think we do have a pattern in our country of when do we act quickly when there is something shocking and intolerable that happens. So finally, you asked me, what would the bill do? The bill would tell the Department of Justice to pick a point person to review and expedite hate crimes related to the COVID-19 pandemic. It would also seek to increase transparency in the reporting of hate crimes and generally make that reporting more accessible by putting reporting online, making sure that it's in a variety of different languages. And as you said, um, we absolutely anticipate that this will become law. President Biden said, basically, send me something and our lawmakers will send him something. Thank you so very much, Jessica. Let's move on to our second topic for today, which is a Supreme Court decision on search and seizure, and that's related to the police. So who said that unanimous decisions weren't possible in a divided Supreme Court? Well, the court did just that early this week when it issued a decision on a case involving warrantless searches and seizures by police. The origin of this particular case was an argument between two people in a long-term marriage. Edward Coniglia brandished a gun and told his wife, Kim Coniglia, to put him out of his misery. Those are his words there. When Mr. Coniglia left the house, Mrs. Coniglia held the gun and left to spend the night in a hotel. Probably a good idea. The next morning, she asked police to accompany her back home in the event that Mr. Coniglia had harmed himself. Police found Mr. Coniglia on his porch and detained him for a psychological evaluation, but he was released later that day when he was deemed to not be a threat to himself as others. But, and here's the rub, Jessica, while he was gone, police had confiscated his guns and ammunition. So Coniglia sued, saying that the search and seizure had been illegal. Lower courts disagreed, citing what is called the community caretaking exception to the Constitution's warrant requirement. The case worked its way to the Supreme Court, and all nine justices sided with Mr. Coniglia in this case. So he wins his case. But what are the broader implications here, Jessica? How will this change policing in America, or will it? 
Yeah, the broader implications are it gives us some more contours about what the Fourth Amendment means, and it tells us again that when it comes to Fourth Amendment law, location really, really matters. And I feel like I'm in class for a minute, but let's go back to the text. The Fourth Amendment says, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. So notice a couple of things here. One, you know, broadly the Fourth Amendment protects us against unreasonable searches and seizures. And notice that the text of the Constitution itself calls out houses. It specifically says the right of people to be secure in their persons and houses. So in this case, the location was the home. And as the court has said over and over again, there is something sacred about your home. This is where your privacy interests are at their height. So as you said, the court unanimously concluded that this so-called community caretaking exception, which was created in a case dealing with searching a car, does not extend into the home. What does a community caretaking exception mean? Really broadly, it means there's an exception to the warrant requirement if you are trying to take care of the community as you discussed in the case with the husband and wife. So what does this mean? It means if the police want to enter your home, they either need consent, of course, if you say, yes, come on in, then there's no Fourth Amendment violation. They need a valid warrant or they need emergency circumstances, but the community caretaking purpose will not be enough. So again, it means the court's not extending this community caretaking provision from cars to homes. And therefore, it means that that community caretaking provision can apply to cars but that we will continue to treat our homes as sacred spaces. I keep talking about homes as sacred spaces. We are recording this podcast, obviously, from our homes, and I'm looking around thinking, I need to make this place a sacred space and really clean the blank up. But that is obviously not what the case is about. What are you trying to pull over on me, Jessica? I know that you got a 10 out of 10 just recently on your oh. rate a room assessment. Come on now. Whose chain are you pulling here? It It's like I set you up for that, and I didn't. But I think that for at least the next 20 podcasts, we should mention the 10 out of 10 on Room Raider because it is second to the podcast, my greatest professional achievement. <laughs> and, and your law degree. And you know, Oh, right, right. There's some other things in there, too. But anyway, let's move on to this next story. Jessica, I absolutely love this story. I am an unapologetic space nerd, even went to space camp as a kid. So this is deep in my blood. So the question, Jessica, here, is there any legal recourse if a rocket falls on your house? Serious question. There's a legal implication here. Scientists have been warning about a sizable piece of Chinese space junk falling to Earth recently after launching a component for a Chinese space station into low Earth orbit on April the 28th. Scientists knew that the spent booster rocket would eventually fall to Earth in an uncontrolled fashion. That's a very key thing to keep in mind there. 
After days of speculation and some crane necks of the more anxiety-ridden Earthlings, the booster re-entered the Earth's atmosphere on May the 8th, landing harmlessly in the sea near the Maldives in the Indian Ocean. So this particular rocket return was harmless, but at 20 tons, it could certainly have done some damage if it crashed into a populated area. And it isn't as if this couldn't happen or hasn't happened in the past. Get this, Jessica. In 1961, a cow in Cuba was killed, hit by metal, a metal, metal fragment that had fallen from space, to date the only documented fatality from falling space junk. Here's some other ones There's, uh, for your trivia and knowledge this week if you're playing Trivia Pursuit. In 1961, a 21-pound fragment of Sputnik 4 shattered the concrete in the middle of Manitowoc, Wisconsin. In 1969, in the Sea of Japan, five men on a Japanese boat were actually hit by wreckage of a Russian spacecraft, but they weren't killed. In 1978, Russians believed that a bit of space junk destroyed one of their satellites, sending wreckage over northern Canada. And Russia has launched over more than 25 nuclear satellites, so something to keep in mind there, keep you up at night. And the most famous instance of all the grand poobah of space junk was the return of NASA's first space station called Skylab that crashed in July of 1979. Skylab ended up breaking apart and landing in a remote desert in Western Australia. Two of those pieces weighed in at more than 4,000 pounds apiece. Ten more of those pieces weighed more than 1,000 pounds each. And 250 more pieces weighed over 10 pounds each. All of those are more than, kill, excuse me, more than enough to kill a person when hurtling down from the heavens. So, Jessica, save for the unlucky cow, no one has been hurt with this Chinese booster. But various space programs, both national and commercial, are currently at a pace for roughly 100 launches a year. And what does that mean, Jessica? That's a lot of space junk, a lot more space junk. So my question to you, Jessica, legal expert, if a piece of space junk lands on my house or, God forbid, kills my Aunt Bertha, is there any legal recourse? Can I sue the owner of that rocket, be that a country or a company? This was a terrifying last topic that we picked now that I think about it. I mean, you really, you used an upbeat tone and I appreciate that, but talk about a, we just got through a really troubling administration and now, and it looks like we're doing really well with respect to the pandemic, but listeners, in case you got too comfortable, let's fix it on space junk. All right. So you asked me about the law. I will address that. As it turns out, this is something that is supposed to be handled between governments, not between private individuals or private individuals and private companies. We have treaties that spell this out. This isn't my area of expertise, but I have read up on it. And those treaties provide that governments are responsible for damage caused by a spacecraft or space junk. I believe it also includes space junk, even if that space junk came from a private company, like let's say for instance, SpaceX. So what happens if a piece of space junk, let's say from Russia lands on your house, then the American government can decide to make a claim for compensation to the Russian government. Who's gonna pay for the therapy bills? That's not included in the treaties. And that, Joe, is our episode. Thank you everybody for listening. We love having these conversations with you, even when we are assured that they will keep me up at night. You can thank Joe for that, and you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Day. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Levinson Jessica. The podcast on Twitter at Pass Judgment Pod, on Instagram at Passing Judgment Pod. Thank you to our listeners. 
Yes, thank you, listeners. Elon Musk, if you happen to be one of those listeners, try your best to not land one of those Falcon Heavies on my house or Jessica's house or anyone else's house. Thanks for listening, everybody. Keep your heads to the sky. Talk to you soon.